Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is Mark Molina, CEO of Molina Leadership uh, Solutions. We are continuing on this morning with our Women in Leadership year-long series. We have with us this morning Miss Aurora Jackson of Lane Transit District, and I'm going to begin by reading her bio. Aurora A.J. Jackson is the General Manager of Lane Transit District, or known here as LTD, a nationally recognized transit agency. Prior to serving LTD, AJ worked for Montebello Bus Lines in Southern California, where she served as the general manager for over seven years. Her work experience also includes holding various management positions at the Los Angeles County Metropolitan Trans Transportation Authority, or LA Metro. Her work at LTD has been focused on developing a system approach to transit in the community and improving the return on investment for local businesses. In 2020, with the negative impacts of COVID-19 and the Holiday Farm Fire on Lane County, AJ's primary focus was keeping employees and residents safe. She actively serves Lane County as a board member for the Springfield Chamber of Commerce, United Way, and Cornerstones Community Housing. AJ's work at the state level includes serving on, as a board member for the Oregon Transportation Association and the Global Warming Commission. Nationally, she supports transit by serving on the board of the bus coalition. Her professional associations include membership in the American Public Transportation Association or APTA, the American Leadership Forum of Oregon, Latinos in Transit, the Zero Emissions Bus Resource Alliance, and the Twin River Springfield Rotary Club. Good morning Aurora, thank you for joining Molina Leadership Solutions year-long project, Women in Leadership. How are you doing today? I'm doing great Mark, thank you for inviting me to talk to you today. Now, the world of transportation is—it's very compelling. When I grew up in a small town in Texas, there was no public transportation outside of if you needed to get somewhere, you didn't have a ride or a bicycle, you walked, and so that—that's what we did. But transportation has this intriguing set of variables that most of us never even consider. And years ago, when LTD started the MX project, and we started going to the layout of the plans, and then we had the roundabouts that were installed, the impact of public transportation, it really came alive to me personally. What is it about tr public transportation that has intrigued you all these years and kept you moving forward in that field of endeavor? Well, my passion for public transportation, of course, like most people begins as a rider. I rode public transportation from my oldest memory. It is the way my family, um, I grew up in Los Angeles and in Los Angeles, uh, it's really congested and things are not centralized like they might be in a smaller community. So to go to the grocery store, you have to go several miles to go to the doctors, the same. And even going to school is sometimes a challenge. Um, if you don't live in a neighborhood in which there's an elementary, middle school, and a high school within walking or bicycling distance. So my family rode public transportation as their means of getting to where we needed to go, even to recreation, we did that. So growing up with public transportation, it was really just part of the fabric of who we were. Um, and uh, all through my uh, school age years, I took public transportation. Um, I also, as I was in high school and took, as most kids do, a little side job, I needed to take multiple buses just to get to school and then just to go to work. So I really started to see 
the importance of the fact that if I didn't have a car, I didn't drive, I needed to. And people that I knew also took public transportation. So it really became part of, that's how you get around. And um, sure, our family eventually did have a car and my parents used it to go to work. So us as kids, we still needed to do the same thing and uh, take public transportation. So when I had an opportunity to get a job, um, I first started with school bus driving um, and I did never had been on a school bus before. So I found that important, but in Los Angeles, kids need to be bused to go to school a long distance just to uh, be able to provide equitable uh, schooling throughout Los Angeles County. So you start really tying those pieces together. Apologies, I turned off my notifications, but I think they came back on when I went back on the network. But what um, I will say, so it's all of these influences that really um, started to put the pieces of the puzzle together for me. And as I, you know, thought about um, I, what career I was gonna uh, go into, um, already working in public transportation, because I moved on to the local city, a bus in the city of Montebello, which is one of the neighborhoods there in Los Angeles County. Um, and really picking up people that really get the bus at four o'clock in the morning to go to work. Seeing that without the importance of public transportation, the community cannot exist. People can't be independent. So I think it really has been from my earliest childhood that I've started to put the pieces together. Of course, going back to get my bachelor's of science in public administration and really learning much more about the social fabric, uh, urban planning. I think that's when I really uh, became passionate about knowing that uh, my role needed to be more about just being a job or for me to earn my living, it had to be about how I contributed to the community. Um, so um, coming to Lane County, and knowing the investments uh, Lane County has made in a strong transportation system, that was really attracted to me. And uh, during COVID, I can continue to see how we are transporting essential workers. Doing that, um, it's not difficult to see that without a strong public transportation system and network, uh, community uh, would be challenged to be able to uh, move um, in our smaller, or I'm sorry, urban area here. So definitely, I would say that public transportation to me is uh, part of the network that we need good housing, good employment, good education, good medical, and good public transportation that all work together to provide the quality of life that we all want here in Lane County. So it, it's really, a, a, like you said, an interesting uh, interrelated uh, story that I think really comes together when you're talking about a good transportation system. How old were you when you started driving the school bus? Um, how long did you do that for high school students or kids in general being to go to the school and what um, what interested you to move in that direction? Um, God, people just fall into these jobs, right? It just, you know, we all have interesting lives. I drove a school bus for two and a half years. I was 20 years old. Driving, it was really interesting because I was driving middle schools from Koreatown um, in the center of Los Angeles out to the San Fernando Valley. 
even the middle schools and I looked very close in age. So it was really interesting to be driving um, uh, children that didn't look that much different than I did as far as age-wise. And I was driving a 40-foot crown uh, um, school bus. Um, and when, thank goodness, automatic came about, but definitely at times I had to do the double clutch five shift um, up the one-on-one freeway to take over the San Fernando Valley. But it, it was really an interesting time. And what I will say, it was really part of, um, while well, I was going to college and needed a side job, um, the Los Angeles School District had an opportunity to take some testing. And based on the testing and based on what they had opened, you were placed on a job. So I never really applied to be a school bus driver. I thought I was gonna be something like a teacher's aide or maybe work in the lunch program. And the, the training is very similar. So it was to my surprise when in week three, they had me report to a location in which there was school buses. And you know I had just learned to drive just a few years prior. So that was an interesting um, career transition but I definitely knew that um, I like working with people. So I, I like working with kids. Um, so I, I do think that um, I just kind of stuck with it. I said, well, I'm gonna pay the bills for now. So at that point I had not connected the dots of the importance of a good transportation network, but um, I was definitely intrigued by the experience and uh, it's led me to where I'm at today. So I'm really happy I didn't just you know, run away that day that I pulled up and there was a bunch of yellow buses, probably about two to 300 in front of me. Well, I, I'm just thinking of what you said. First of all, you're 20 years old, you're driving around a bunch of kids that don't look much different than you, uh, you know, because of uh, age. You're driving a standard school bus, 40 feet long. Mm -hmm. That had to take a lot of courage. That had to take a lot of uh, a sense of confidence to have those kids in the bus and drive that that stick ship as you said sometimes double clutching up the highway yep you have to yes yeah, school buses are commercial vehicles so they you double clutch them it's not like your you know single clutch vehicle yeah what was that like for you when you're when they introduced to you the role they designated to be a school bus driver what were some of your thoughts back then um I mean, I, I think initially I was overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed. I had never seen a female driver. Uh, so I definitely did not have a point of reference to really be able to uh, to say, well, other women I knew did that. Um, so that was definitely challenging. I think the biggest driver for me to um, kind of stick with the program is I didn't want to quit. I had uh, studied really hard to get into the school district. I had uh, been accepted and I thought it was my foot in the door and I sure wasn't gonna run away um, and say, I can't do this at the time being that I needed a job. And at that point, that was all it was. It was, I needed a job and I thought this could lead to bigger opportunities um, so I, I think I was willing to take on the challenge and thought, oh, well, you know, either I can do it or I can't do it. They'll let me know. Um, and um, I will say that, uh, that they had a very good training program that allows somebody that um, within a few years that's been driving a car 
to be able to drive a 40-foot vehicle in the congested traffic of Los Angeles um, and the San Fernando Valley. Uh, as anybody who has ever visited the Los Angeles area, driving up the 101 freeway, um, it's it's a climb. It's a climb as you go through past the you know universal area and going to the San Fernando Valley and emerging with the 405 and all of these crazy freeways. So it, it was interesting, challenging, but I will say um, really connecting with the students through that time and knowing that um, they lived in the dense urban Koreatown area and they had an opportunity to be transported to the San Fernando Valley that is much less suburban, larger homes, less dense, uh, much greener. Um, it really, you take a lot of pride in being able to provide that opportunity to children who would otherwise not be able to go to school uh, because of the dense population in the you know real uh, urban areas there. So, so what was the the distance? You said the Korean town area. Korea town. Korea town is uh, is closer to the downtown area on the yeah west side of that. Let me see, I, I don't even remember how many miles that was, but at least, uh, you know, in Los Angeles, we don't measure by miles, we measure by time. So it was in the morning, it was about, uh, my route was about three hours in the morning. That means you're picking up kids um, for about six stops and then you're traveling about another hour to San Fernando Valley. It was funny because it was the last middle school between Los Angeles County and Ventura. And the name of the middle school is called Hale. H-A-L-E, Hale Middle School. Still remember that because it was so hot in the summer. I mean, it would get like 120. We would call it Hale, H-E-L-L -L, Middle School because it looked like we were taking these kids to hell. It was so hot in those school buses that are not air conditioned, as you can imagine. The yellow buses, maybe they are now, but you know, several years ago, I think it's nearly 30 years ago now, it is 30 years ago now, they were not air conditioned. So it really was miserable. On the way back, just the freeway portion was about an hour and a half stuck on the freeway. So, um, and I'm sure it's probably only about 25 to 30 miles, but that's just how long things take in Los Angeles. That's why we measure everything by time, not by distance. Well, I'm smiling so much because when I started riding the bus in high school, we had a female driver. She was the first female driver. And I still remember her name. Her name was Diane. And she, like you, she was young. It was her first job. She looked like us, you know, yeah. from the neighborhood. And the she it was it was a stick ship, you know, it was standard. I'm watching her up there, as you said, clutching, hitting that. And sometimes she'd grind it, you know, she'd say, sorry. <laughs> and um, we didn't, those those buses were not AC, it'd be hot in them Texas summers, or yes. Texas, uh, uh, as, you know, post-spring. But you said you were going to college and you needed a job. You had just learned to drive a few years earlier. You were overwhelmed by the first time you went to the I'm going to say the school district to, and you saw two to three, two to 300 yellow buses. Yeah. 
you didn't want to quit. You studied hard to get that job. You didn't want to quit. And so it was your foot in the door and you were not going to run away. Uh, you had no previous point of reference for a female driver, but you took that challenge on. And what I think is very important is they had a great training program that allowed you to, to develop and have enough confidence upon completion of that training program that you could pick up kids in Koreatown and drive three hours uh, to a school that they needed to attend. Um, you said you had to take a test. What kind of, what was that like taking a test to get into the school district and how did they settle on? That makes me think of the ASVAB and the military. You take a test and yep. they decide where they're going to place you. Was it like that? Yes, very similar to that. Um, what happens is, you know, it's a general education test. It's a general education test that you take. And um, I will say when I took it, it was at this huge uh, industrial area that the school district had, this huge warehouse. And there must have been about, I would say about a thousand people testing in mass amounts of people. And at that time, um, this was back in 1990, they did not have a lot of openings uh, at the time. And so that's why I thought maybe I'd be in the lunch program, something, because there was not a lot of openings, um, a lot of opportunities for jobs during that time. And what, um, out of about 1,000 people, if I recall, only 15 of us passed at the level. And then once we pass, they, um, so only 15 of us passed and that's all we, that came. And at that point, they haven't even determined your job yet because they are trying to determine where they have an opening. Um, and uh, like I said, uh, I didn't know I was trained, I was gonna be trained to be a school bus driver you on all of the child um, sensitivity training that you have that you need to have and that's across the board whether you're serving a lunch or driving a bus or helping a teacher they want you to have this basic knowledge of education so it was really just about um, being able to pass a general education test and whatever their passing criteria was so that's why they trained us for about two weeks on everything from CPR to dealing with difficult situations, policies, you name it. And it wasn't until they get towards the end that they figure out what jobs they have available. And then you train for that specialty. So I think it's very much like the military, right? You, you go through all the, the similar training until you get to the specialty. So all of those, uh, of the 15 of us that passed, at the end, only six of us graduated. Um, so it was a small graduation, but uh, it was it was a good. And definitely back then there was, like I said, not a lot of automatics. So they have to train you for the manual transmission of commercial um, uh, driving at that point. So, so yeah, I think it was very equivalent to maybe government job placement. Aurora, let's talk a little bit, if it's all right with you. I'd like to hear a little bit about your family, what it was like for you. You said you guys had to ride public transportation. It, it, 
this shows a lot of grit about who you are. This shows a lot of resoluteness about who you are. Your willingness to, to stay in that process, to not give up, to not quit. That was your foot in the door. You needed the job. You were going to college. You knew that this was a, a valuable stepping stone to what your future might become. Tell us a little bit about your family, your upbringing, the things you saw that, that were formative, that allowed you or placed within you this sense of, I'm not going to quit, I'm not going to give up. Well, uh, definitely I am the, a first generation American. Um, my parents immigrated from Mexico. So they came with limited education and limited English um, um, to be able to, to work in the typical uh, jobs in which, you know, house cleaning, more industrial uh, labor uh, type work. And we lived, I grew up in public housing in Los Angeles. So we did grow up in a community type environment, but, uh, but it was really working poor. And most of the community, uh, uh, it was very diverse. We, uh, but uh, there was a lot of uh, immigrant families there from different countries. And uh, the parents' hope was always a lot about education. Learn the language and get receive an education so you don't have to do the laborious work that most of the parents there did. So there was a lot of focus on education, um, probably a lot more on the men because uh, it was expected that they would be supporting a household where females could always be looked upon as maybe being the, the homemakers or, or somebody that maybe works a part-time job. So it was still about getting an education, but it really was focused for the females that you could always get married and get a good husband type of thing, um, which is not very untypical of a lot of, you know, uh, uh, maybe uh, older generation um families. So um, I, for some reason, never saw that as my vision. Um, I think I was a little bit, I was a little bit um, sassy and thought I was as good as the boys and tried to do all the things the boys wanted to do and didn't know why. Um, I liked all the girl things too, but it's not like I only liked the boy stuff. I loved all the girl stuff and doing all the fun girl stuff, but I didn't really understand those lines. So I think my family was uh, always trying to put me back into the woman role. And said, um, so it was always an interesting dynamic. And, um, you know, all my friends really, uh, uh, we, we tried to kind of break through that gen first American generation barrier in which you're living between two cultures. So when you go in your home, you know, it's like you live in Mexico. You have all the customs as if your family is, but then when you go to school, you have much more of the American influence and the urban in, uh, influence living uh, in kind of a dense population. So I, what I will say is, I, I think really understanding the differences um, and really trying to figure out what felt right for me. How do I continue to honor kind of who I am and what feels comfortable at home? And then how do I survive in this new environment that exists outside the home. So I think there was always a lot about uh, figuring out how a 
which is probably very typical most first um, generation Americans that they're living between two worlds as they're trying to uh, figure out what's comfortable for them. Did so, you have any siblings? I'm sorry, did you have any siblings? Excuse me? Did you have any siblings? I do. I'm a middle child, so I have an older brother and a younger brother. I'm a middle child. Yeah, the cultural component, I, I really love hearing this, this uh, historical perspective, this historical explanation, what it was like for you, your first generation American, uh, your parents coming from a different country, having to learn the language or limited language skills, limited education, uh, falling into what was available to them, primarily industrial work or house cleaning, laborious work, but wanting you to have that uh, that opportunity to live the American experience, so to speak, to have access to the American dream. And I, I identify with all of that. That was the same for my family, my mother, my father. They worked the fields. They were the oldest, so they were expected to work. You know, they had to participate in economic uh, stability of their homes. When my father died, my mother was 37, he was 39, this was in 71. Uh, she, They had seven kids, and my mom did what my mom does. She started cleaning homes, she was cleaning homes, she was selling Avon, she was selling Tupperware. She just went about her business of, of leading the home. She didn't know how to drive. My dad had did all the taking care of all the administrative things. So I identify with the things that you're mentioning regarding the cultural norms, the cultural roles because i remember my sisters too were not necessarily being birthed for college or that's the wrong word um it was the role was you're going to get married and have kids that's what we do and yep. so uh it, those are very real very real messages now what did your family think what kind of conversations were you guys having about your future, especially when you started working for the school district, you're going to college. How did the conversations begin to take shape about what you saw for yourself? Um, I, I, I don't think they understood it. Um, I do think it was very interesting time because uh, I think my um, um, parents and my extended family, which is very common and um, I'm, my parents came from Mexico, so I'm Mexican. Um, they kind of said, what is she doing? She's lost her mind. Others thought, you know, it's a moment in time. She'll get out of this phase. Uh, uh, my grandmother was a very strong um, female matriarch. Uh, she loved it, you know, which uh, she just thought, you know, I'm so happy and proud. So it was really just a an interesting dynamic. I don't think I was ever influenced in one way or the other by it. For some reason, that was just buzz noise to me. Um, and for some reason, it really was not a conversation. It was just kind of comments that would make. First, I do not know why they really did not didn't struggle with it. I didn't entertain it. I didn't think twice. I just knew that um, this was an opportunity for me to do something um, and I wasn't sure what that was, that something was, but like I said, for the school district, it was a foot in the door. And um, kind of just to tell you a little bit, so after the school district driving school bus uh, for two and a half years, that's when the city of Montebello had an opening. Well, now I knew how to drive uh, a bus, 
Um, so that wasn't a big leap. And the Montebello bus was actually the bus that I took from my earliest memories. So I was not afraid of the bus. That's what I had been on a bus. I never envisioned driving one, of course. But um, so when the city of Montebello had an opening, again, another great government job. And when I mean great gov government job, when I was driving school bus, I was making $7.75, which paid a lot more than my other uh, jobs when I was making minimum wage, you know, going through school. So $7.75 was a lot of money to me. But then I hit the jackpot because the city of Montebello uh, for their driving program played $9.23 jackpot then and I was going to apply for that job um, and I heard that was just the beginning and uh, again another foot in the door I had no vision of becoming uh, a a career transit professional that was not that was just I'm getting I mean who knows I could maybe I don't know what I thought I could do at the city but I thought if I get my foot in the door there driving this bus for them and I can continue going back to school um, through college, I do something else. Don't know what that something else was, but I thought I could do it. So really driving a bus to me at that point was a foot in the door. It was not a career. So it really wasn't until I really got into, finished all my general education in college and went into public administration are connecting the pieces is, wow, I can go into management in transportation, but that really was not my original intent on that. So, so I think my family was not understanding the big picture either. So, um, you know, sometimes the circumstances just work out well. Um, so when people, you know, talk about when you start your career, I, I don't know at what point it became a career, but, um, but it was really not a planned uh, endeavor. What were some of the differences from the school bus you were driving to the city bus that you were now gonna that you were now driving? Well, I mean, well, the major difference, and I have to point this out, was air conditioning. <laughs> you know, air conditioning. The buses had air conditioning. The other thing is, as I mentioned, in school bus driving, I was driving from Koreatown, and I originally for the school bus job, I picked up the bus in the city of Southgate. Uh, to Koreatown, which that's about 40 miles just driving through town. And then, like I said, maybe another 30 miles. So that was long days um, that I was putting in through long distances. But when I went to the city driving a transit bus, I knew that East Los Angeles, I knew that community. So I was transporting my neighbors. I was transporting people I went to school. So it was very familiar. The streets were familiar, the comfort, everything. Like I said, I hit the jackpot with $9.23. Um, and um, and again, to me, it was just a foot in the door. This was not a career, but I knew that it was an opportunity um, and I was gonna latch on to that opportunity as I continued uh, my education. When you went to work for the city, Aurora, did, they, did you have to undergo any kind of training beyond typical admin training, but like to learn to drive their buses or their processes, did you, did they upgrade your training uh, learning uh, curve? Yes, they actually did upgrade the training to their type of vehicles. But at that time, they only hired drivers with experience, which fortunately I have that. 
Um, so I found the training very easy because at that point I had gone through the double clutch commercial bus with no air conditioning. And um, definitely it's difficult to imagine in this virtual environment, but with my hands, I'll be like this huge steering wheel that, you know, you nearly have to stand up. The seats, you know, they on the school bus, they sit on a metal post. Mm-hmm. And based on how old the bus is, the cushion has, you know, some wear and tear on it. So it's not ergonomically um, suited. But on a city bus, uh, the air conditioning, the the comfortable seating, you know, so definitely it was uh, learning. But it definitely was a different interaction because now I was not just dealing with students and the same exact set of customers every day. I was dealing with customers that boarded the bus every few hundred feet at a bus stop. So definitely it was a different dynamic. Being bilingual, I speak Spanish. I think that really helped to be able to greet customers. And I will say I drove very um, uh, late shifts through the uh, kind of tough streets of Los Angeles, some industrial areas, some pretty um, uh, difficult areas with a lot of uh, gang violence, you know, and uh, shootings and all of that. I never felt unsafe. I felt that I knew the language and I felt I knew the community enough that I could uh, maneuver my way through that. So I definitely do say that um, looking back, somebody might say like, weren't, weren't you afraid? Because a bus driver gets in the seat puts a seatbelt on and their customers sit behind them. You know, uh, I've worked a lot with law enforcement and I tell them, you know, we don't wear a bulletproof vest. We say, welcome aboard, pay your fare. And we put, we give our back to you as a driver. You know, we trust you. We know the community. And I tell them, you know, as an officer, I would say, you won't even leave your gun in the office, you know, where I can do it without a gun. So I really developed my people skills working with the community and really loving the community that I served. And I will say um, it feels very similar here in Lane County in which our employees live in the very same community they serve. So I, I do think there's a lot of value to that. So it really brings a lot of sense of, uh, of being uh, invested in the community. So I think I felt that uh, during my time driving. What a fascinating story. What fascinating details and characteristics when you were driving for the city, you start running into family, friends, and they're like, hey, what are you doing driving that bus? What did, what, or some of the, what was that like for you? Well, it, it was a little awkward because you could imagine they, they themselves, there was not a lot of female drivers, period, um, in any capacity. So they were not used to seeing a female and they didn't know I was going to school trying to, um, you know, use this as my opportunity. So they uh, were wondering, like, what's this all about? And, uh, you know, I, I do think, I don't know what they said. They didn't say it to my face, but I'm sure it was not favorable uh, at the time. Because, like I said, it, that was just not the norm. They probably just thought I, you know had some wild ideas or I don't know what they must have thought. But I can't say that uh, it was something they looked upon. Um, I think it was more like intriguing, curious to them. Yeah. And how long did you drive for the city? 
I drove uh, almost three years for the city. And during that time, um, I was selected uh, for a lot of different assignments, driving, you know, you do special trips, uh, you do demand responsive, picking up seniors and disabled. I volunteered a lot during that time. Anytime they had an event, um, even if it was a non-paid event, I volunteered. Again, it was my community, so I wanted to be really actively involved in all the holiday activities. So I was really involved because uh, I loved the job that I was doing. And uh, an opportunity came up for a supervisory position. And the manager at the time, who was a female manager, uh, asked me to apply. And I had not never envisioned uh, becoming a supervisor. Uh, remember, I thought I could, through education, do something else. I just did never imagine supervision. I thought more office type work. Um, but she asked me to apply. And at that point, I had never even uh, written a resume. And, you know, what kind of resume would I write? So um, I believe I asked one of the secretaries that worked there to put a resume together. And of course, the resume could just have what my experience was. And I do remember being uh, criticized uh, by some individuals that laughed at my resume. Um, as I was putting in for the position. But at the bottom line, I didn't really want the job. I mean, that's not, I mean, I was gonna work in the office somewhere, maybe in city hall, I thought. Um, I'm not sure what I envisioned. So I really was not, again, shaken by them making fun of the fact that I had applied. You know, the manager asked me to do a favor and I did the favor. I submitted my application and put this resume with some assistance together. But um, um, I ended up getting the job of supervisor at the time. Um, so that kind of, I think, changed everything, you know, I imagine. So they laughed at you. People laughed at you, made fun of your resume. You didn't really know what to put. You had just been driving, which I don't see it as, I could see how people could make the, the assumption Oh, she's just a driver, but they don't realize you about a thousand people passed the test that you took. Or a thousand people took the test, 15 people passed the test, only six people graduated from the training. You're you show up for work at the high school or to drive a, a, a school school district bus. There's two or three hundred buses there. You're overwhelmed. You go through the driving course, you learn to double clutch that big monster and you drive several hours a day all the way to uh, Koreatown, out to a, a different area, taking kids two and a half years. You, a seasoned experienced driver, you apply for the city driving position, you are accepted, you go through that training program. This is your community, this is your hometown. These are the streets you know, the people you know. You are volunteering, you're committed because it's your community, you loved your community. Someone saw something special in you and asked you to apply for a supervisor position. You didn't really know what to put on a resume because you've never done one, but you asked for assistance, you asked for help, someone helps you, people laugh at you, you didn't let it shake you, you said. You went into the interview process. What was that interview process like? 
the the interview process was you know very typical about you know tell us about your strengths tell us about um different they gave you different scenarios where you know i said i i grew up in government housing you know trying to be politically correct we didn't call it that we called it the projects right so i grew up in the projects um really part of a community and you 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 develop your social skills, so definitely, I think that was really instrumental when posed as a transit driver doing city bus driving. Um, I knew how to relate to the community. I was not in any way scared by the community because it was my community. So I think in the interview, it was just really answering their questions in a way that was practical, that really spoke to the fact that if I was a supervisor and I had uh, bus operators that were in trouble, I would, I knew how to manage that situation for them because I understood the community. And I remember one of the last questions and um, at a later time, the interview panel said, but that was like, what put my score so far ahead of everybody else's score? Because one of the biggest challenge I had was not that I didn't have not just the experience because other people that were applying were also bus operators, but everybody was about um, between 30 and maybe somewhere in their 50s. That was, and they were all male. So I was the only female. And I was 24 years old at the time. And my employees that, that I would supervise would all be older. I believe I was the second youngest uh, employee there. So definitely no one expected that I would even be qualified. But the question that they asked me is, uh, what would you do if you're a supervisor and you see an employee doing something wrong? And that's an employee that you, you know, was formerly your, your coworker. But now you're the supervisor and you're held accountable for that person's behavior. And you know, that was not a difficult question, but for some reason it stumped some of the other candidates. And the first thing I said is I would approach them and ask them if everything was okay. Because I don't know that what I'm witnessing is I have the whole story. Because the question was, if you kind of come upon a, a formal coworker. So to me, when they said come upon, that meant I missed everything before that. So the first thing I said is I would approach them and ask them, was everything okay? And, and then tell them, I noticed that you did X, Y, and C. You know, tell me a little bit about that. What's going on? So the fact that I did not judge the person, because remember, I'm from the neighborhood. I know not to do that. I know that things are not always what they see. So they, uh, they ultimately said is you displayed an ability to assess a situation and then determine the best course of action based on, you know, an engaging the employee. You know, I think they said a lot of people said, well, I would make sure that I would tell somebody higher. I would make sure that the employee got disciplined, you know, all of that. And, and my approach was just I may not know the whole story. So I think really that that um, background in really investing, knowing the community was helpful towards my progress ultimately in being able to 
move up through the ranks. So you're applying for the supervisor position. You're the only woman. You're the second youngest employee uh, working for the city. All the other drivers are males, some, somewhere in their 30s into their 50s. And what launched you over the other applicants or the other candidates was how you answered the question regarding seeing an employee making a you know questionable decision or whatever the scenario was. And you responded with, I would approach them and ask them if everything was okay. Not making that assumption. Not This is what is so... So fascinating about your life and so fascinating and why we need to give uh, other people's cultural upbringings perspective and give them importance and give them value because you knew from that neighborhood, you knew from growing up around other immigrant families, you knew from growing up in poverty and the projects and the challenges and the difficulties of that, that you couldn't assume anything and it, was, it could have been potentially dangerous for you to assume something and communicate something that uh, could have potentially brought uh, brought you harm, yes? Yes, of course. And, and, and I think, you know, you, you learn to adapt to your situation. Um, so I, I think that background was really helpful. Um, and if I may just quickly tie that to Lane County. Um, and what I will say, because I said a lot of things about Lane County feel very much the same to me about, you know, uh, we have a lot of community members who are all very invested in our community. And I think that's the importance of developing our own leaders. You know, I think we want to be an inclusive environment that brings in leaders and welcomes leaders and people from all walks of life. But I do think there's a lot of value in developing leaders here in Lane County, because no different than the fact that I knew my community, so I knew how to how to um, assess the situation and really determine a good path forward. I think, you know, our young um, leaders, our students, they know Lane County. You know, no one but them is going to know um, how to feel comfortable, you know, how to live the values that we have instilled in them. And, um, you know, when we say, you know, um, you know, our young people are our future. They are our future. And the more we develop them um, for those leadership skills, they will use not just the, the new leadership skills, they will use their upbringing, their, um, the investment we're making in them and saying that, you know, uh, no one's gonna care about the community as much as they do because this is their community. I think that's what was the difference when I was working there is when I went over to the city bus and I knew that neighborhood, I knew I was passionate about that. And, um, and I think that's kind of what has marked a lot of the work that I've done here with my employees is to say, you know, these are our future leaders, our future general managers, our future, you know, city managers. How do we continue to really um, invest in them because they know how the community feels. No one's going to care about it as much as they do. So that's a lot of the work that I feel I've done in the last five years is continue to build that uh, our employees are our leaders um, and they're empowered to make decisions because it's those decisions today they make that on another day they might be sitting in my position or your position and we want them to really empower them.
I think it's important. I appreciate your perspective and your paradigm because developing leaders from within our own organizations is the most critical and the most vital aspect of what we do as leaders ourselves. And that the future that you talk about, it's not always a distant future. It can be a very near future, especially in events such as a holiday farm fire or a global yes. pandemic or economic difficulties, this new generation of ideas, a new generation of leadership, a new generation of skills that that are brought, are brought organically forth or forward because it's time, because of a situation that they get to be uh, put on display. Let's talk a little bit regarding your vision and how you've gone to accomplish that of developing leaders at LTD and um, maybe some of the either the programs or the processes you the organization has in place for that. Well, um, the the number one thing we've done here is really um, uh, instilled a culture of employer of choice. We want people here that really enjoy what we do, that have that common uh, vision and mission. And it's what their why. Uh, just like I have my story, why I'm passionate about public transportation. Each of my employees has their own story, why they're passionate. And we have to start with that common vision. I always refer to us um, here at uh, LTD as a team. And the team is it's one of our successes, all of our success, right? The team has to win together. It's not about only one of us. It has to be about all of us working together, building each other up. And the way we've invested is by uh, ensuring that our pay reflects um, um, an, a, a, a wage that they can live in our community, um, that their benefits reflect the hard work that they do. We've made sure that the working conditions here in Lane County uh, in LTD are comfortable, you know, not luxurious, but comfortable. And, you know, we have a beautiful facility. We maintain our fleet in good state of repair, both for our employees and our customers. So what we do is we do all the things that a good team will do. And we put in programs in place like tuition reimbursement for um, employees who are going back to school um, and want to seek higher education. So um, I do know that uh, some of our employees have taken advantage of that. So if they go um, to you know, Lane Community College and get more education, we will provide a reimbursement on an annual basis so they can continue to grow and develop because we do believe they are our lead, future leaders. There are future supervisors, managers, directors, uh, GM and AGM here. So if that's who they are, what are we doing to invest in them so that they become that? The other thing is, of course, we provide uh, internal mentoring. And, um, every day is an opportunity to be a mentor um, to our employees. And that's by the way we um, hold each other accountable and have open dialogues and conversations with that. Um, so any of our employees can email me, contact me, I can contact them back. So we're trying to create a culture here in which everybody here is a uh, individual that's welcomed um, and we have a structure in place that's welcoming. Uh, as we know, 2020 has been a very difficult year 
the pandemic, the fire, the um, uh, civil unrest, but definitely the conversation around race and social equity. And I think we ask ourselves the tough questions and we're having the tough uh, conversations here. And um, by doing all of this, it's really building everybody up for leadership. These are the skills, these are the conversations you need to have. The first time you have a conversation about racial and social equity shouldn't be as a general manager. You should have that at a different position. It's by really preparing our employees for the tough um, conversations, the tough challenges of an organization, it's really preparing um, them for future leadership. So we have um, what we call leadership council. That means uh, different mid-management and uh, all the way up to me, we meet monthly and have conversation about different topics. Uh, we have what's called a diversity council. And that again is individuals from uh, different uh, levels of management, but also frontline employees, bus operators, mechanics, people from different that come together and they talk about diversity. Um, and we have another committee that talks about uh, environmental sustainability, you know? And again, it's not just all management sitting in a room making decisions. It's by people from um, uh, different levels and different sides of our organization that all come together to provide input. So that means if you're a bus operator and there's a director there, your voice is equal to them in that committee. Um, that's how we prepare our leaders is by, it doesn't matter where you are in position, uh, when you come together for a team um, vision, um, you have an opportunity to exercise leadership. So um, that has been uh, a common theme that um, I, you may know Mark Johnson and I, he's the assistant general manager. Um, we want to continue to cultivate here um, leaders. And it's leaders for Lane Transit District, but it's also leaders for Lane County and the state of Oregon. We don't know which of our leaders here will be you know, at any portion of our uh, state or nation for that. Um, I'm sure when I was driving a bus at Montebello bus line or driving that yellow school bus, uh, up to the San Fernando Valley, they didn't think I would be running a transit agency in Lane County in Oregon, right? So you have to be able to prepare leaders for all the different challenges that may come their way. And I think investing in them, whether they stay in the community or, or branch out, it's still an investment in Lane County. So definitely feel about, strong about that. Well, I love the overarching vision that you have, uh, the culture of employer of choice their why is as important as your why. What, the, person, the success of one is the success of all. And how you care for your employees is in their pay, their, way, their, their wage, their benefits, the working conditions, tuition reimbursement, practicing leadership, applying leadership, and internal mentoring, something that's an everyday opportunity with open dialogue. You have a welcoming structure in building those leadership skills within the framework of your cultural organization. You have your leadership council, diversity council, environmental sustainability council. 
understanding that your employees are the future leaders, not just of your organization, but in the community and could not only fill your role there within LTD, but could fill it at a state level or a national level one day and ensuring that they have the developmental opportunity uh, offered to them is really important to you. And that, Aurora, I, I'm not only, not only am I intrigued and in awe of what you're doing, but very my I didn't haven't really met you before now outside of senior board meetings because we do both serve on the Chamber of Commerce, uh, yes, yes. Springfield Area Chamber of Commerce Board of Directors. But hearing this is why I wanted to do this series, Aurora. This is why every one of the women in leadership that participate in this process is making me a better leader each and every time. And I really believe that when this is all said and done, I'm going to have, for maybe a lack of a better description, an honorary PhD in leadership and women's studies. Yeah. Because yeah. the value, the stories, the hard work, the sacrifices, the struggles, the commitment, the cultural barriers, all of these uh, underlying story within the stories or stories within the story itself and how you're, you're continuing to move forward and to try to improve and enhance not just your life but the lives of those around you this is what this whole project is about and this is what leadership is in action in your collegiate studies in your university studies you're working you're going to school at what point were did things begin to come alive at what you might be able to do and become where you could tie those those two together? Well, um, I spent uh, just over five years in supervision. In supervision, you're still very much focused on the tactical. Um, you're focused on very community, customer relations, safety focus, very tactical getting that job done. But through that process, um, as I mentioned, I've always been engaged in the community. So start kind of seeing the big picture and start interacting with different management levels. Um, and I think they started to see that I had interest in doing uh, more. So uh, always kind of raising my hand and uh, to be part of something there was an opportunity to move on to different portions of the organization. But I will say in operations, um, uh, training employees, managing employees, again, not a lot of female role models there. Um, and no different than when I mentioned in my childhood, I didn't realize why I couldn't do all the skateboarding and everything else that the boys were doing. I didn't really see that as a barrier in my job either. So I felt that I could um, go into those uh, positions as well. Again, I didn't really have a vision, but I remember I kept talking to you about the foot in the door. So I started doing little things like making Xerox copies for the different management. Um, they forgot their mug somewhere and I would wash it, put it back on their desk and, you know, just really finding that, hey, if you want me to make those copies, well, as I'm making copies, you know, you're standing there at the copier reading through all the material. And so the more I did that, they were like, oh, you maybe can help me on such and such date. And 
it was funny because I really wanted to be part of training. I really wanted, so I wanted to train. I wanted to do classroom training, behind the wheel training. I wanted to move into like the management of that. And they kept saying, well, you probably don't have enough experience. You know, you've got to train operators from scratch. Um, put programs together. Remember, I'm going back to school a little bit at a time, finishing up my general education. So um, it really feels comfortable for me to study and do that. So I just started memorizing. So anytime something happened, I would jump and say, um, if you've got to go to that meeting, I could fill in. So they started by letting me administer tests. Well, why don't you, and I want to, can I also pass it out? Remember like old teacher's pet? And then I started saying, if you want to, I can grade it. I can have it all graded in between, or I can do this, I can do that. Just really that foot in the door. And it really was uh, tough because I think they knew I could do it, but I think it was also a barrier for them. So it was interesting that um, the organization Montebello really did a great job at training and mentoring, but they really couldn't see a role for somebody like me that was so young. And then um, uh, Orange County Transit Authority, you know, the big transit authority in Orange County, California, they had an um, instructor there that was head of their big training program. And he saw me in some training and um, again, always raising my hand volunteering. So he invited me to go work for them and be part of their team. So I applied to go over there and was successful in going. So I worked for Orange County uh, and now I'm part of this big monster county. And within six months, Montebello called me and said, you win, come back. You can be head of training, you win. And I said, nope, I got a new job. They said, you can, the man that had hired me, said, you can be him over here. Come back, you win. Um, so they hired me back as head of their training at Montebello. So I had to go back and tell Orange County is, and they said, wow, what a great opportunity um, that was. So that's when I tied the pieces together. Somebody else wanted me. And I knew, by the way, at that point, I was about 29 years old. So I was still very young. So you've got to know, it's no wonder that probably people had trouble connecting the dots that, you know, she wants to do more. She's trying to do more. Um, but it was really just tying the pieces together that saying, you know, how could my education and the experience that I was acquiring really, so I think that, um, Orange County saying, we'll take you if they won't promote you. I think it really pushed Montebello to say, we'll let you have the whole thing, but yeah, come back, come back. We, we see it, we see it. So I, I think it was the first time that it was like, yeah, I can do this. It's beyond, uh, maybe that's when the leap is, maybe this is a career, not just a job. So you come back to be head of training, you're 29 years old, they wouldn't promote you, so Orange County hired you, they came to their senses and said, no, we want you back, you get to be in charge of the whole show. You go back, 
what were some of the things that you did now that you're head of training to employ or deploy this sense of vision you had towards developing a training mechanism or training modules to make things better at the city of Montebello? It, it was funny, uh, even of you asking that question, I kind of want to go, oh my God, poor Montebello. They weren't prepared for me. They were not prepared for me at all. I don't know. Um, I revamped the whole training program immediately. Remember, I had spent all these years wanting to do this, sitting there, washing a coffee mug, making Xerox copies. So I had been studying this. So I had a, I had so many ideas. I turned an eight-week training program into a five-week training program. I uh, implemented um, adult learning practices, you know, that um, were not there. The traditional learning for school for bus drivers. Um, I don't know if I, you might remember from our earlier conversation. For two weeks, you sit in a classroom. So uh, that's what we were doing. We were taking um, people who were coming to work with for us and they were sitting in a classroom for two weeks. And on week three, we introduced them to the bus. Well, what I did was they spent two days in the classroom doing all the, po the heavy policy piece. On day number three, half a day was in the classroom, half a day was learning the bus. By the first week, you would have driven that bus. By the way, that program is still in place um, at in Montebello. And I did the same program, by the way, when I went to LA Metro. I, I did, by week one, if we haven't introduced you to that bus, um, adults don't learn by sitting in a, you know, We've got to um, be stimulated differently. We've had life experiences. As we get older, we don't learn uh, in the traditional way. So I implemented a lot of um, adult learning processes, revamped the whole training program, and made it more efficient, more successful. And I mark success by the careers that we uh, offer. When we bring somebody on board, we invest in a new employee and we invest in the whole family of that employee that we're giving you. So by, if we know you cannot do this job by week two, the best thing we can do is tell you this is not for you. We're not gonna keep you there on two months later to tell you, Mark, you know, you probably already envisioned your whole life working for us uh, by week eight I'm going to tell you by week two if you're in or not. Um, and I will tell you that uh, it really helps to build new employees' confidence um, by really believing in them, not being afraid to put them in the seat. And I think that was a lesson learned from myself. Remember, I was, I was trying to get my foot in the door and people going, oh, God, what is she doing now? You know? Um, so to me, it's kind of like, Give people a foot in the door from the beginning. They shouldn't be pushing, you know, they shouldn't be coming to um, work for four weeks and go, looking at those big buses and going, oh, wow, how am I going to drive them? 
You'll be on one by Friday. I'll tell you right now, you'll be sitting in that seat by Friday and you might even be moving it by Friday. So I, I think uh, that's kind of what I did. I don't think they were ready for me that I was gonna start putting students in the seat by week one. But um, it really uh, has proven to be a successful model for training uh, drivers. Adult, adult learning practices, where did you discover that? And why did, did you believe it was necessary to implementing that change into the training program to make it more effective? Um, I, I think, I, think uh, I learned that by um, kind of, it started off by just life experience when you're uh, living between the two worlds I talked about and you see adults trying to learn English um, and they're trying to go back to school and learn it in the traditional way that kids learn English, right? Um, it does, it's not very successful in, in doing that. But you do see that uh, when individuals go to certain uh, types of adult schools, that really provide that hands-on and um, the homework is much more integrated into what's practical for them, um, it proves to be a lot more successful. So um, as part of uh, my education, I took an interest in just picking you know, that information up. And remember, I was uh, a 25-year-old supervising men twice my age and there's nothing i can teach them i mean they they've driven a bus i mean most of the time they've driven a bus uh, longer than i've been a born so uh i sure was not going to be able to speak to them if i thought i was going to speak to them in a certain way so to be successful as a supervisor i needed to pick up a lot of that knowledge and speak a language that they understood um and um, so I think I learned that through my times at supervision and then really adapted that. So that's why when I got the opportunity to now move into management and run the training department, I was ready. I was so ready to uh, change and you know blow it all up and redesign it. Let's talk if we can, I'd like to talk about for a couple of minutes, your experience when you were selected for the supervisory position you were the only female applicant. You were the only female driver. Most of those drivers were twice your age with, had been driving longer than you had been alive. How did you communicate with them? How did they communicate with you? How were you able to successfully cross the, what would be obvious barriers and obvious opposition? Tell, tell us a little bit about how you confronted that and managed to effectively get through those moments. Um, I don't take things very personal. Um, so I think I was able to look beyond the criticism. I remember, um, certain drivers, um, you know, again, being a very young female driver working, you know, being entry level. So that means working the worst shifts, right? You work the worst shifts all weekends, all late nights. Um, you go to downtown LA when it's only you and people that reside on the sidewalks here on house population. 
And actually the unhoused population is not the scary people. Those are the people you know, because you know what, where they are. The, the scary people are the people coming into town buying drugs in and out of downtown, right? Because they're there for a different reason. So that's the scary part about it. So um, I was never scared by that. I understood why they were there and, and I was able to manage through that. But I, when I, we came, when I supervision, I think some of the male older drivers were happy that I was no longer out there on a bus uh, with them, right? Because, you know, uh, who your follower and your leader are, that means the bus in front and behind you matters. If you get in trouble, you know, you depend on each other. The next bus behind me might be 20 minutes. So anything happens within 20 minutes, I can get help. And of course, I'm sure they never felt good that my follower is AJ. What is she gonna do? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, they're up. So when I went into the office, they would be like, well, we're really happy that you're in here now. I think you're much safer. Or, you know, you're either doing road supervision, which means, you know, I don't have to pick up passengers anymore. So they almost, some people thought about it as they put her in a safe place. Not as I promote it and I'm now your boss. Um, I never really was insulted by that. Um, I probably should have been, but I just felt it's my job to, um, to figure this out. So I think I just was able, and, and when I was dealing with a difficult situation, discipline, um, I reverted to what I did in the interview. You know, you catch an operator doing something they're not supposed to. I don't go up there and confront them in a negative way. I go up to them and say, hey, is everything okay? You should have left 20 minutes ago. Is everything okay? Oh, well, I'm still reading the paper. Okay, well, you know, remember people depend on us. So I think I always really um, confronted it very practical. So when they did get themselves in trouble and I did have to do the tough job a supervisor has to do, I mean, we've had the conversation, you know, we've had the conversation and it, you know, it would be nothing like, hey, Mark, you know, Mark, we've had a few conversations about that. Um, ultimately, people are late to work because you can't. And at this point, you know, you're making me do my job. So let's, let's make a deal. You do your job, I do my job, right? So when I did have to do that tough discipline, it was never like she was up for a power struggle. It was never that way. It was always that, no, she pretty much told me, you know? So I really never did get the complaints to management on my uh, management style. And I probably uh, wrote up more people than everybody else. But, um, you know, I didn't go about it as trying to power struggle. I went about it as, hey, we're out here together to be a team and the public depends on us. So I really do think that um, it came easier to me um, and I didn't have the challenges, even though I knew that even in that role, there was a perception of she's a young female, you know? So, you know, I, I don't know what they thought, but I was doing my job and I was learning how to do the work and taking advantage of everything I could learn, right? Again, not knowing what I was going to use with that knowledge, but I knew I was learning. So now you're the general manager of LTD. Here in our area, you have a board of directors that's appointed by the governor, correct? Yes. 
you have to be responsible for not only what is required of you within the cities that you operate, but within the county, but you also organizationally have to be responsible for state and federal requirements around transportation, correct? Yes. How do you as, oh, in your leadership position, you're a woman in leader uh, leadership, the general manager of LTD, how do you keep yourself abreast of all of those uh, regulations and requirements, as well as ensure that your staff is competent in those areas as well? I will say is, I, I always feel that I have an easy job. My job is to know where people are and where they want to go. Everything else is just, you know, stuff. And I think just that passion for deliver that service and wanting to do it better, that the job is very interesting to me. So because the job is very interesting to me, I wanna um, learn everything about it continuously. So that's the passion that I had from the very beginning. When I was driving the bus, I told you, and it was my community. So I volunteered for everything. And what I didn't realize when I was volunteering for everything, I was learning about events, activities, about the different management people that I would not have interacted. So if you notice, I'm continuously getting that information. At each step, that, that passion and that interest in the bottom line of service in public transportation makes it very easy. So anytime a new rule comes out, want to know that it came out I want to read what it says you know somebody might think that's a job you know I enjoy it um last night Sunday night I probably sat there till 11 o'clock looking through some regulation stuff I just found it so fascinating you know I really enjoy that and I enjoy the knowledge of it I enjoy the knowledge of all the moving pieces that it takes uh, to put that one bus on the road you know, uh, it looks like just a driver on a bus and what people don't realize is what it takes to put that out there. Well, I love what it takes to put that out there. Mm -hmm. So I think it's always craving knowledge in an area that I'm very passionate about that makes learning very easy. Um, and it doesn't feel like a job when I'm doing that piece. You know, one of the things uh, this morning is uh, reading tra national transportation news. You know, you know, somebody might wake up every morning and look at what sports, if their sports team, and what was the score and how many plays they did. And then you go, how do you know all that? It's like, well, they have an interest in that team. So memorizing players' names and scores and statistics, it's fun for them. And that's where I will say is, you know, I woke up uh, this morning and want to read what's happening in the world of transportation. You know, what is Seattle doing on their new tax? Uh, who's not raising fares in the nation? Who's doing this? Who's doing that? What new rule is coming out? What is the federal government? What is the state? What's ha happening here at the local level? So I think it's really just um, having a passion for the work that I do. Um, everything else just comes natural. I mean, I'm sure it's the same in your job is you know, if you like the big picture of it, all those little pieces just get you to the big picture. So it's not overwhelming in any way. 
Well, the reoccurring theme that I hear you saying from the time you started working, volunteering, going the extra mile, doing things no one else wants to do, and in those moments, using that experience to learn as much as possible, meet new people, use it to your advantage in regards to becoming uh, more concise, more informed. Uh, you said always craving knowledge. And for this is title is Women in Leadership. And these pieces for aspiring young women desiring to grow in their leadership capacity, that's very important. Volunteer, go the extra mile, do things yep. that other people aren't willing to do, crave knowledge, insert yourself into opportunities, especially in the communities which you love and you learn and you live. Insert yourself into situations where you can have a positive difference, make a positive impact, and learn from the other leaders around you. Now, silly question, maybe sure. not. I, in your ascent, in your professional ascent, how did your parents and your family, your peer group from the time you were growing up in the projects to, there's that little crazy Aurora. Now all of a sudden she's onto something pretty special here. She's really doing something very unique. How did the relationships and language change around that? Um, what I will say is because, um, Probably my um, my I guess my inability to see probably barriers that were there, you know, just not really. Um, I don't know if I really uh, have paid a lot of attention on that. And it was interesting because um, I was the general manager running Montebello bus line, and um, I had a company vehicle both at LA Metro and at my last employer. And they always see that I have this vehicle, you know, and they're always like, oh, they lent you the vehicle again. And so my uncles would ask me, so, I mean, um, you know, I haven't seen you driving the bus. Now I've been a general manager for like over five years and I've been in super, I mean, I probably hadn't driven a bus in 10 years at that point. But they really couldn't see connect the dots that I could be running a transit agency. They knew where I worked but in their opinion, she's probably maybe some type of admin and sometimes drives the bus. You know, they, um, and it was really funny. Um, and one time I was hosting an event at my home in which it was mixed with family and coworkers. And uh, one of my relatives was like, you know, we're so proud of her. You know, she, you know, she's strong enough to drive a bus and, um, you know, I'm the general manager there, but, you know, she's not afraid and blah, blah, blah. And one of, you know, my, my colleagues there says, um, I don't think she drives the bus. You know, now they know I'm, <laughs> and they were like, what do you mean? They said, well, she's all of our bosses. They're like, what do you mean? No. And, and it was really the first time that they could ever connect that I was, that it was like, well, they know that I got this job, but they could not understand that a female in a leadership management position, and it's, and that's not good or bad. Again, they didn't have a point of reference to really connect those dots. And it was really a bit, now that I remember, uh, that's when I started getting a lot of phone calls is, so you know, Uncle Ernie says that, 
you know, you're don't drive a bus anymore that you're their boss. Like whose boss are you? And I was like, I was like, what did they think I did all these years? They've seen a company vehicle here, you know, that they obviously don't see a bus. They see that I'm driving an administrative vehicle. Um, so I don't know if the conversations were there, but I can tell you that that was a shocking gathering. And um, my colleagues were like, did they really think you drove a bus? I said, I don't know. They do ask me about that every gathering. And I tell them, no, I really don't anymore. But I think they thought, well, maybe not on a regular basis. So uh, so that was kind of funny um, to me. So when I did uh, move out of town, they did understand that was for a management job. I don't know if they know it's to run the agency, but they definitely do know it's for a management job because uh, that event, um, they were very surprised that uh, I was had moved up into the management levels. Um, so it, it, I think I, I just find it funny. I just find it funny. Well, I think that the reality of cultural barriers, it's real. I mean, you may not have seen it. You might have, you might have said in your mind, maybe consciously or not, that's not going to be a barrier for me. I'm going to, I'm going to apply myself. I'm going to put my hand to the, the plow. I'm going to do these tasks. I'm going to excel. I'm going to learn everything I can learn. And I'm going to keep moving forward no matter what. But a lot of other young women in leadership or even young men trying to change their course of life may not have the ability to consider, to think, or have the strength to come out of those cultural barriers. You're talking East LA, you're talking gangs, you're talking a particular mm -hmm. culture that people never leave and people have no, in some cases, no desire to leave. And so yeah. what, what would you say, um, Aurora, to those that are trying to break out of cultural norms and cultural barriers to become more, what advice would you give to them? I would say is, um, spend less time looking at the barriers. Um, be willing to know that sometimes it's just a foot in the door. Um, and I will say is just keep pushing forward. I, I, like I said, um, I'm sure that people who uh, have known me through all the years uh, can tell a better story as to what they thought about me during this process. But none of that really ever deterred me. Uh, the commentaries, the not having that, I don't think I saw any of that as barriers. So what I would say is, you know, is stop focusing on, on barriers. You know, focus on what you enjoy and what you can do. Um, and I will say is really having a passion for what you do is really what drives you. I mean, whatever it is that somebody finds they're passionate about, um, don't limit what you can do. Um, I, I, I don't feel um, that um, there are any limits, you know? Um, so I think just keep pushing through and uh, those barriers will continue to move out of their way. You know, they, you know, you just keep pushing through is, at some point, somebody um, gets tired of, you know, like the story I said is when I went to uh, OCTA in Orange County and my boss was like, okay, you win, come back. You know, at some point you're going to get worn down, you know, you're going to wear them down because I, you just don't see those barriers. Um, 
and and I do think so. Maybe the the theme is perseverance. Um, don't give up. Um, and whatever that barrier is, just look past it. Um, because I I do think that um, whether it's a male, female, you know, whatever the roles are that that other people or society has defined for them. Um, if that doesn't feel comfortable for you, you know, create a new one. You know, I have spent all that time thinking about what I wanted to do in training. If I ever got the chance and the moment they gave me, I blew it up and redesigned it. And no one had ever done it before, but why not? I had ideas. Um, and um, so to me is people need to really um, have a passion for what they do. And, uh, be willing to step out of the social norms. Um, and they were there my whole life. Know that, you know, you know, that language is always talking to you. You're always hearing it. For some reason, I just didn't feel that that fit my mold of who I was. So I really could not conform. I, I don't think that would have been an option, uh, regardless of what I did with my career. In the final few minutes that we have, Aurora, we're in the midst of this pandemic. LTDs had to make a lot of adjustments to ridership, safety measures, safety protocols for participants uh, in the bus routes. Where do you see things going with the the stringent issues we have going on? Um. I think that uh, for too long, we've defined public transportation as a, a bus or a um, and very traditional work schedules or school schedules, right? Uh, people go to work at eight, they get off at five. Kids go to school this time. I think the pandemic has told us to blow it all up. Um, you know, uh, put everything aside that you've known about how about social norms, about how kids learn, about remote working, remote um, learning. Put whatever you thought in 2019 didn't exist in 2020. So stop trying to force us all into these norms. I think we've proven that we've learned how to do things better. We've learned what doesn't work. And what we need to do in, in transportation focus on how we serve people the way they move not the way we tell you to move mark the bus comes at this time and that's the time i expect you to board i think it's making me feel that no mark i need to figure out when you need to travel and how i need to serve you and um and what's the right way for me to support our community doing that and whether it's a, a bike, uh, a car, personal vehicle, a shared vehicle, a carpool, you know, a small little uh, around town service, whatever it is, uh, public transportation, we have to figure out how people move differently now. Um, and we need to serve that. Because as we know is that as I, when we start this conversation about the importance of public transportation, is whether or not people do remote working, it's not likely that we're gonna just all go into our houses, just like we did during the shutdown and never come out again. We might come out to go get a cup of coffee. We might come out to go 
meet friends, to go visit family. We may use public transportation differently and we have to adapt to that because if we want a strong uh, economic uh, community in, we need to have all of those services that support that, which is good access to medical, good police and fire departments, good public transportation system. These are all the basics, good um, uh, uh, local and convenient grocery stores. Um, what we need is all the pieces that, that create community for us. You know, and if you notice, um, if we all get in, in a car at the same time and think we're going to go somewhere, we're not going to go anywhere, Mark. We're going to just be stuck in traffic like you're in Los Angeles, right? So we need a good public transportation network that uh, adapts to us. Um, unless we're going to build five-lane highways throughout the town, um, we need to figure out how we move. Uh, people in a way that makes sense for them and built a good um, economy. We want people to go back to work, you know, and, 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 you know, when I talk about the why is, you know, it feels good, Mark, to get up and go to work. You know, it feels good to have the remote working option, the flexibility, but nothing feels better than getting ready in the morning and seeing a lot of these friendly faces here. Um, so what I, we do know as, you know, starting back to my childhood is I lived in a community. It was public housing, but, and, and I think that's what we do. I mean, you and I both serve on the Springfield board and we spend all of our time talking about how do we support business community? Because you know what, Mark, you want your business next to another successful business, right? It's not about just you being successful, it's about your neighborhood businesses being successful. And that's what creates community. So I think public transportation plays a key role in that. And um, to me, I'm excited that we're blowing it all up. I think it's exciting. I'm glad we're, um, um, I mean, I, I think the um, we've learned it the hard way through a pandemic that's really uh, has put a lot of people off out of work, but that also has caused lives. Uh, and, and I don't wanna, um, um, you know, take away from that because um, to, I think we need to, moving forward in public transportation, we have to figure out how do we keep people safe um, so that um, um, our community is safe and, uh, and it's vibrant. So that's kind of what, it's exciting. So none of it scares me. I, I feel very uh, excited with this new challenge and want to partner with the chamber and, um, and local businesses to, to make it happen for us all. Very good. Ladies and gentlemen, we've had with us today on Molina Leadership Solutions, year-long project, Women and Leadership, Mrs. Aurora Jackson, General Manager for the Lane Transit District here in Lane County, uh, Eugene Springfield, Oregon. Aurora, thank you. Loved, loved, loved your story. Loved hearing it. Thank you for the detail of it. Thank you for sharing the broad journey of your professional development, the hard work, the pursuit, the interest, the volunteering, going the extra mile, being willing to navigate things in ways that other people didn't think you were capable of, uh, staying the course, not giving up, not letting situations scare you, not letting people scare you, being true to yourself. This is what this year-long project, Women in Leadership, is all about. You're an obviously gifted, talented, thoughtful leader, and we need 
more of individuals like you who can make the rest of us better and help us create a community that we can all enjoy living in. And uh, we look forward to having future conversations with you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for inviting me today. Thank you. Have a good day. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.